53. Oh, so just go there, and while you're doing that, I'll get some things ready. Welcome, welcome, those online. Welcome, Mike. Here we go. Resh. Look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek our decrees, mm. your decrees. Sorry. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on faithless with the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. I see how I love, see how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Amen to that. Yes, and uh, Rush is the head of man, first, not beginning. Yes, it is. It's also uh, uh, the first word in the Bible, Bereshit. It's in the beginning, Rush, the, the head, the chief, the start. Um, you just roll your tongue a lot and it comes out. Okay, March 22nd. Let's see here. Yeah, today it's the 22nd. In 1620, when many people were considering whether to go to the New World, one person had a unique reason. He was trying to go home. An American Indian named Tis Quantum, or Squanto for short, had come to England via the slave trade. In 1605, Captain George Weymouth captured Squanto and took him to England where he learned English. Spending nine years in England before returning to his people, the Patuxt on Cape Cod, he traveled home in 1614 on Captain John Smith's vessel. He was not home long before Captain Thomas Hunt, part of Smith's expedition, lured Squanto and 26 other unsuspecting in Indians aboard his vessel under the presence of, under the pretext of trading with them. Once the Indians were on board, Hunt's crew clamped them in irons and took them to Spain, where they were sold into slavery. I never knew that. Many never returned to their homeland. Squanto was delivered into the hands of local friars who introduced him to the Christian faith. Squanto did not remain long with the Christian monks. Making his way to England, he managed to get passage on the American-bound ship of Captain Dermer in 1619. When Squanto arrived back on Cape Cod, he learned that every single person in his tribe had died. In 1617, smallpox had ravaged the people and no one had survived. In early November 1620, the pilgrims reached the shores of Cape Cod. They had been members of the separatist congregation of Scrooby, England, that refused to conform to the Church of England and as a result had fled to Holland. Twelve years later, they set sail for America to build a new life. Fearing their children would lose their English identity, they settled in a place called Plymouth, named after the town in England where they started their voyage. The settlers soon discovered that Indians had cleared the land at Plymouth but had not farmed it for some time. On March, one March day, after a devastating winter of hardship and sickness, an English-speaking Indian named Samoset walked into Plymouth. He had learned English from the fishermen he had met along the main coast. From Somerset, the pilgrims learned that they had settled on the homeland of the Pawtucks, the tribe that had disease uh, which wiped out four, them out four years earlier. Somerset informed the pilgrims that the Pawtucks had been a large, hostile tribe that viciously murdered any white man who encroached upon their shores. After the death of the Pawtucks, I'm sure I'm 
Patuks. I don't know. I don't know how to sp- pronounce it. We're just going to stick with Patuks. Anyway, <laughs> no other Indians had inhabited the land for fear of the death curse that might fall on any who had settled there. So it came about that God led the pilgrims to perhaps one plot of uninhabited land on the East Coast, the very land where Squanto had grown up. Samoset introduced the pilgrims to Squanto on March 22, 1621. Squanto brought news that the great Massosoit chief of the Wam, I'm having trouble with these names, anyway, some leader of uh, most of the surrounding tribes was coming to visit the settlers that day. When Massasoit arrived, Squanto helped the pilgrims agree to a peace treaty with Massasoit that would last for decades. When Squanto arrived in Plymouth, the pilgrims were in desperate straits. Nearly half had died during the previous winter, lacking skills for survival in their new land. Squanto showed the pilgrims how to fertilize and protect the corn they planted, how to catch fish from the streams, and how to harvest the food the land provided. If God had not sent Squanto, the pilgrims would never have survived. One of the pilgrim leaders called him a special instrument sent of God for our good beyond our expectation. They have a reflection which says, Who has God used profoundly to influence you? God always provides the help his children need. Look around you and you might be surprised at whom God wants to use in your life. And from Genesis 22:14, Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. And he, in fact, for them did. So great stuff there. And uh, then we're going to go ahead and... Oh, I was recycling some stuff out front and I tore a piece off of it. So it was pretty bloody there for a while, but it finally stopped. Anyway, um, let's see here. That's not what I want to read. I want to read this. I got uh, before we go to the prayer. You reading last what? I think you started reading last. I, I'll read that too. Um, here's something with prayer. I am writing to ask you for prayer so that I can get some understanding as to my situation. This is a guy that attends online. I'm 71 and retired. My home was paid for, and we had several cars. It all started when Trump ran for office. Now get this: when word got out that I supported him, my family turned on me almost overnight. Shortly after he won, all four of my daughters and wife shunned me completely. What? I separated from them before Thanksgiving, but was invited to see my grandchildren for the holidays. That later changed again, and I was kept away and presented with divorce papers. My divorce is now final. I drive a used car, um, live with a couple who supported Bernie, and I follow you via Internet at fast food establishments. My last contact with the daughters was very disturbing, as they do not read the Bible or attend church or believe in God. To make matters worse, the couple I rent a room from asked me to print out a form for them to fill out. The form was to register as a Democrat for the upcoming elections. It would seem that I'm in a similar situation as Israel, surrounded by enemies. Time is running out, and whatever my purpose is in life, I have not been successful. I hope that God will look in favor, for I've tried, but I now know what evil spirits can do firsthand. This is real. real. Yeah, and he just asked for prayer for his situation, so... Uh, and then I got some good news is our brother Blake, who is not here tonight, he's busy doing something important. He found a place to live, and surprisingly, the same affliction that he suffers from, the owner does. And so he's got a great house. He said, there's no way I could afford this. It's beautiful, you know, and it turned out that the guy let him. So very good. Thank thank the Lord. We want to thank him as well as ask him for stuff. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do thank you that you've provided for Blake. What a blessing that is, because it was kind of getting close for him, and uh, it just is very stressful in life when you don't know what to do and uh, you're hemmed in, but uh, he is reassured that he has a place to stay and that you have provided it, and 
it's just wonderful. So we thank you for that. We uh, pray for this gentleman. We just read his statement, and uh, we prayed that he will not lose his faith, even in this huge trial he's facing over something that isn't even, it's just a political matter, but uh, shows you how the Lord, the world is being divided, Lord. Not that you didn't know that, but it shows us, I guess. And uh, so we pray for him. We certainly pray for Linda, who's still recovering from her surgery. And we pray for all the people that are not here, that if they're sick or, uh, you know, uh, not feeling well, that you would take care of them. If they're traveling, that you'd uh, give them mercy as, they're tra as they travel. And we pray for all those online that may have troubles or trials or difficulties. We pray for each and every one of them. And Lord, we thank you for the chance to meet and discuss your word, what a precious word it is. And we just pray that we do not go out of the bounds of proper theology as we uh, search out your word. Precious as it is, we do not want to mishandle it. And so we thank you for the chance to be here and guide us accordingly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, then the last thing uh, is yes. The, I said that we'd go through the articles of uh, affirmation and denial um, for the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. It's something that's important. This won't take too long each week. The first one is very short. Article 1, we affirm that the Holy Scriptures, meaning the Bible, not the Quran or some other scriptures, we affirm that the Holy Scriptures are to be received as the authoritative word of God. I completely agree with that. The authoritative word of God, there is no other. It is the one and only and everything that it teaches is authoritative. Doesn't mean that it's authoritative in the same way at the same time. I'm sure they'll go through that, and I don't remember all the articles, but um, you know, we have the Law of Moses, which was authoritative for the people of Israel until the coming of Christ and the establishment of the New Covenant. We'll talk about that more this week and next week in the sermons. But we have uh, Jesus' words spoken to Israel under the law, which were a part of the Law of Moses. He was fulfilling the law. And then you get into the book of John and you start having this, this mixing of the Gentiles coming in and you can begin to see it in the book of John, but actually uh, the authoritative word for the Gentile-led church age is the letters of Paul. From Romans to Philemon is where we get our marching orders. There are other epistles, but they're addressed to other people. Hebrews is addressed to the Hebrews and same thing with James and Peter. Then John comes in with his epistles again, once kind of this merging, this, this some, God is doing something. And so uh, we have that, and then we have Jude, a final warning. That would be authoritative for all people at all times. Then we have the book of Revelation, which is telling us about the church age and what's coming after the church age. But I just wanted to give a very quick uh, uh, talk on that affirmation. I won't go any further, and then they deny. We deny that the scriptures receive their authority from the church right in the face of the Catholic Church, who says that we establish the authority within the Bible. We determine what is authoritative and what is not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In, in other words, there are certain verses that are debated. In 1 John chapter 5, there's some debated verses, and so we reserve the right to determine. Well, we don't do that. The Lord has determined his word. It is his word, and we don't deviate from that. And then we also have um, the church will usher, uh, issue papal bulls and um, statements of infallibility. Absolutely crazy. We deny that scripture receives their authority from the church, tradition, or any other human source. Tradition would be something like the books of discipline with um, the Methodist church and, you know, people uh, saying, well, um, Jewish tradition says, we hear that a lot, especially from the Messianic movement. They add in 
traditions of the Jews. It's no problem citing the traditions of the Jews, but when you elevate them to the authority of Scripture, you have deviated from any right reasoning, any right um, uh, adherence to the Word of God and having a fellowship with God. Nothing is on the authority of Scripture except Scripture, and then they say, or any other human source. In other words, anybody that claims divine inspiration, when they say, thus says the Lord from the pulpit, or they say, an angel told me this, or I went to heaven and saw that, they are to be rejected. I don't care what anybody says. I, I have no problem with that. Ellen G. White, the founder of the Seventh-day Adventists, went up to heaven and saw these visions. She's crazy. One, they don't match the book, the Bible. And two, the Lord is not speaking now. He is not speaking his authoritative word. The Book of Mormon, 10 golden tablets given by the angel Moroni, which ought to tell people that right there. Um, anyway, um, it, 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 that didn't happen. There's nothing except scripture which God has given us for our life, doctrine, and practice. And that ended with the word amen at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 21. So that's their first article. Very good. I'm glad that, that it was written. I think it was in 1974, was it? Um, uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of the uh, thing for Sarasota County. Um, yeah, I, it, I, it doesn't say right here. So, uh, it was 74 or 78. It says it somewhere. But it's for Chicago or Illinois? Well, it's just a statement of faith. They had a meeting up in Chicago, and so that's it's it's just a gathering of people that made what is known as the Chicago Statement of Faith. So I can agree with that one. We'll see how they go from there. And um, now we are in the book of Romans. And uh, we, we kind of got off track uh, with all of these other things before we get into Romans. And so we should probably just start with Romans 1, 1, because we want to remember everything we've okay, talked about. Okay, here we go. Yeah, no, we'll, Romans 10, verse 9. Oh, I was going to say 1. 10, 1. 1. 1. 1. Way back. <laughs> so obviously I like these next few verses because they're, they're highlighted in yeah, yellow and blue. Oh, good. Okay, so 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, that's pretty explicit. That's something that we, uh, we uh, mention almost every week during the... Uh, we don't have an altar call at the Superior Word, but... We do have, uh, you know, I, I, I give the gospel, and I usually include that one in there. Sometimes I'll stop and read it, so I have it actually right out of the Bible and not just me trying to memorize it, um, which I never do successfully anything in my life. But um, uh, before we go on, before we uh, get into Romans 10.9, I forgot to mention that we did have a meeting about the uh, uh, with the county yesterday. It was not related to the church issue. That was brought up at the very beginning, and then after that was just talking about stuff in the, the local area. So anybody that's watching online, um, they say that we will have a meeting on it on 24 April. But I wanna thank all the people that sent in letters, and I'll say this again on uh, uh, Sunday. Um, but it's kind of apparent who is a faithful person in the church because we got about as many letters as we have attendees in the Bible class, You know the numbers that watch the Bible class. The prophecy updates, you know, we have lots and lots of people that want, and we didn't get that. And I've never asked for anything from them. I'd like to be able to just block all of them and just say, don't watch this prophecy update anymore because you're not willing to send a one-line email saying, we don't want you to do this thing. But that's okay. The people that attend the uh, Bible, and there are a couple people that probably don't watch the uh, 
the uh, sermons or the updates, but the number of emails was very close to the number of wow. viewers on really? the, uh, the the Bible studies, which and, shows you that and those letters will be used. At the well, I've already uh, copied them. I've put them on a document. I've sent them to the county, oh, and I, I I'm continuing to get some in. Okay. And as I get those letters in, I'm going to compile them again and forward oh, them. Great. So the county will at least have them. They're going to ignore them, and they're going to do what they're going to do. But um, here we go. Um, let's see here, Romans 10, verse 9. From time to time, this devotional, meaning what I type up and I print and I publish every single morning, from time to time, this devotional recommends committing a verse to memory. Okay? There are a couple specific verses in chapter 10. This is one of them. By memorizing, contemplating, and understanding Romans 10, verse 9, one can keep from muddying the waters of one's theology. It is simple, it is concise, and it speaks to the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read it again, just so that we actually um, uh, have it um, in our heads as I'm reading it. And I'm still in the book. I went from Luke 10 to John 10. I need to get, I'm going to skip over Acts 10 and get right to Romans 10. Uh, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and believe that the King James Version is the only Bible you read, or and believe that in a pre-tribulation uh, rapture, or a pre, you know, whatever, or if you uh, believe that you have to observe the Sabbath day, don't insert anything into this verse. Yeah. Just keep it clear, keep it concise, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't add in your pet peeves of your theology. I don't care what it is. If you tithe, take that out of that verse. It's the same thing as John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him and attends the superior word church doesn't say that. People add things like that into their theology all the time, and we can't do that. There is one gospel. It is very simple. He does not make it difficult for people to be saved. And yet it's the hardest thing in the world to do because we have to say, I can't save myself. You have to take I out of the equation. And once you've, once you've done that, things will go much easier with the rest of your theology. Keep yourself out of scripture, okay, other than saying thank you for what you've done for me. So we'll go on. Um, it is simple, it's concise, and it speaks to the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. That, the word that, is a conjunction being used to tie together with the thought of the preceding verse the word of faith. Remember, let me read it to you. Um, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, or mouth and heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Okay, so there you go. This word of faith is explained by Paul and is what he preached. It is the means of obtaining the righteousness of faith, which is mentioned back in verse 6. Okay, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... Confession is more than audible words which occur with the mouth, okay? I can say I believe in the Lord Jesus and not believe in the Lord Jesus. Anybody can do that. It's more than that. To confess is synonymous with profess, okay? One can confess a lie. One only professes the truth. The word is homologesis, and the concept of agreement is to be found within it, Okay? The audible confession stands because of the inward profession, all right? Like I say, you can confess anything. It doesn't mean that guy next door confessed that he had spoke to me about this issue. 
I've never met the man in my life. I've never seen his face. Yesterday, all I saw was an arm with tattoos on it. He made a confession, but he lied. Okay, so and I'll, when I see him, I'm going to tell him right to his face, you are a liar. I don't ever want to talk to you until you come to me and say, I'm sorry for lying about you. I don't ever want to hear from this guy. Anyway, the audible confession stands in uh, because of the inward profession. This is why Paul says that the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is as close to us as the air which enters and exits our mouth and fills our lungs. And it is both audible in tone and truthful to the heart. The reason for the audible profession is obvious. No one would hide their true belief in the Lordship of Jesus. All right, if you're gonna hide your true belief in Jesus, then it means that you don't truly believe because you're saying that I don't believe that God is sovereign over my life. I don't accept that God can raise me from the dead, which means that I probably don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. This audible profession is something which displays the inward profession, okay? That's why we get baptized, is because when we get baptized, it's saying, I am making a visible public proclamation of the confession that I made in my heart and before the people at church or whatever else. I wanna do this thing. And secondly, there's another reason why we do it. It's because the Lord tells us to, tells us to do it. Thank you. He absolutely, there's two things that he asks us to do. Take the Lord's Supper, and these are what we would call sacraments. Some people will use the term sacraments, or we could say ordinances, the two ordinances of Christ. Taking the Lord's Supper and being baptized. Now, I know a lot of churches only give the Lord's Supper once a quarter and whatever. They, they have their own doctrine. We do it every week here. You know, if we were a giant church, maybe we wouldn't do it. Maybe it would be too much work and it would take too long. I don't know. All I know is we're a small church. It's very close. It's very friendly with people, and it's the right thing to do. It, it's the right thing to do. The Lord tells us to do it. So, so one question. Yeah. Okay. The, the word ordinance has come up a lot in our lives. Oh, sure. As of late. So uh, what we're hearing is an ordinance is basically a law. Yeah, absolutely. Now, but, the, but, but these are not laws per se. No, but an ordinance in this sense is something that you should be doing. You should be pursuing it. Now, when we talk about, um, and we'll get to this, and uh, it does say it in the book of Romans, and it'll also say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is that sin is not being imputed to us. We are not under law, and law is what, the, I think we talked about this last week, or I talked to somebody about it. When you have a law, and you violate the law, then you have done wrong. You're a wrongdoer. So if we don't do something in Christianity, sin is not imputed. Or if we do do something which is wrong, sin is not imputed. Because if it was, then the wages of sin is yeah. death. We would be spiritually cut off from God again. Paul explicitly says it in Romans and in 2 Corinthians that we are not going to be cut off. Sin. And let me read it to you so that you know what I'm talking about. Well, 2 Corinthians, I'm in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 15. And uh, uh, it, it's down there somewhere. I'm going to have to find it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, um, uh, that is that God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, okay? And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's not imputing sin to us. If he was, we would be cut off every time we sinned. We can sin, but there is no imputation of sin, Okay. But there is a loss of rewards, and there is a loss of uh, fellowship with God in our own lives while we're walking in this world. We know that. When we do something wrong, and we know that God sees it, we kind of hide ourselves, and 
he's there, he sees it. What we need to do is just flesh it out with him, talk to him, explain to him why you did it and try, I'll try my best to not do it again or whatever. But you are not being imputed sin when you uh, don't do something that the Lord has said. If you don't take the Lord's Supper, you're not being imputed sin. But he has asked you to do this thing. Actually, he's given you an ordinance to do it. Same thing with being baptized. And so if you don't, you are being disobedient to the Lord. You have to stand before the Lord. You will be the one that faces your judgment. Everybody else will face their own judgment. We're all going to face him in our own way. But that is what it's saying. So you're right. In ordinance, if we think of an ordinance, we think of violating it. Well, then you've broken a law and you can get a fine or whatever. Um, we would look at a fine in this sense as a loss of rewards. But no imputation of sin. That That is the most important thing I think that we can think of after receiving Christ. Because how many people are so neurotic about, oh, I've, I've done it again. And how, you know, I think when I do something wrong, how can you love me, Lord? How can I be saved? But I don't question my salvation. I just wonder how can there be such mercy in the world when I do something wrong and I think, ah, done it again, right? So there is a difference between saying, I just don't understand how it can be and saying, I don't understand how it can be. If you know what I'm saying, there's, there's a difference in the attitude. I know that it is. The word says that it is. And so, but when somebody says, this takes us to all of these other things that I brought in earlier. When somebody says you need to attend this particular church, you need to use this version of the Bible. I had somebody quote me a Bible thing this morning about um, an issue, and he's got a Bible, and he says it's translated right out of the Greek. And my answer to him was, if it is a translation, then it was translated out of the Greek. Anytime it says translation, that is something that they went back to the Greek originals and they translate, and they went back to the Hebrew originals. It can be a version, it can be a paraphrase, then it doesn't have to be something that was translated out of the originals. But if it was translated out of the originals, it's somebody's translation. You're going to get some people that will say Messiah instead of Christ, because Messiah means Christ. Some people will take this word and they'll say this, and some people will take this word and will say, we see it every Sunday. There are people that are just... If I asked all of you, if you all spoke fluent Japanese, and I asked all of you to translate one page of the Bible here into Japanese, every single one of them would be different. They would not be identical, okay? So that's just the way it is. Um, uh, so we don't want to insert our pet peeves into this theology. We want to stick very closely to Romans 10, 9, and 10, and also 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. We want to stick closely to these verses. Um, don't insert pet peeves into your theology about salvation. Insert them later if you want to insert them at all, and then take them back out because you were wrong doing that. Um, we have um, uh, this is why Paul says the word is near you; it's in your uh, in your mouth and in your heart. It is close to us as the air which comes unto us. Uh, the reason for the audible profession is obvious. No one would hide their true belief in the lordship of Jesus if he is in fact Lord. What would that mean? He is higher than well, he's well, dead. more immediate. He's what? But more immediate than that. If you're calling on Jesus as Lord, you're calling on somebody who is. Thank you, alive. alive. You wouldn't be calling on a dead Lord, right? That's the immediate. I know there's more. There's, he's he's Jesus. He's but if you are calling on the Lord Jesus, that means you must believe that He was resurrected. Right. You must. Okay, that's a very important issue. Yeah. Thank you for getting that because yeah. yes, we're calling on God. We'll get that theology later. You know, we'll right. get all of that fleshed out in our own walk with the Lord. But the main thing is we are not calling on a dead savior. That would be as stupid as calling on that chair for salvation, right? 
dead means dead. He is alive. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I, my hair is standing up just thinking about it. He is alive. Okay, yes. <laughs> anyway, then he triumphed. If he is alive, then he triumphed over the cross. If he did this, then he was without sin, sin because the wages of sin is death, right? Everybody seeing the progression of this? If he is without sin, then he is, now, go up, God, yes, because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. If he didn't sin, then he didn't fall short of the glory of God, and thus he is God. God. Everybody see, it's perfectly logical when you sit down and you think Romans 10, 9 through. It is so clear. He is God, he is not dead, he is alive. As you can see, by logically thinking this through, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, being the God-man, is inextricably tied up in the confession of the Lord Jesus. One cannot deny his lordship, meaning his deity, and be saved. What do the Jehovah's Witnesses say about Jesus? He is, was resurrected a spirit. spirit being. He wasn't resurrected as the God-man. Okay, you see where the breakdown in their logic is? Yeah. They cannot be saved until they come to the realization that the same man that went into the grave came out of the grave, and that is why I'm calling on him as Lord. Lord Curios is certainly pertaining to Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament. It is not speaking of Lord as an oh my Lord or, you know, Lord Caesar or any of these other lesser lords. It is speaking of the Lord, God, okay? Um, where are we? Um, this is the heart of what God has done in the stream of time for the redemption of mankind. He was outside of time. He created time. We're in the bubble. We're going forward. He saw there was a problem at the beginning, and he is working to resolve that problem. He's going all the way through human history, organizing and orchestrating each thing that will happen and then collecting that information in little stories that seem obscure, they seem bizarre they say you know if you read the bible and you don't look at it for jesus you have to think what is going on here you know uh, one guy that i don't think he was a rabbi but he was a jewish guy and may have been a rabbi just reading something that he had said he said that the bible has to be true because it's so bizarre nobody would make it up okay and he's right you know it is it's bizarre until you see jesus and then it's not bizarre anymore and then you realize that it's not only bizarre and it has to be real it is real and it is real i mean you just make this sudden leap it's like going through leviticus and every time we find a new jesus on monday morning when i'm typing up just can't believe it. I mean, we're up to 10,327 and we're only in chapter two. It's just unbelievable. It, it is all about him. Do okay? you have a number? What? Is there a Oh, I have not. I wish I'd started from the beginning because, <laughs> and how many have we missed? Oh, you know, right, how many right. have we missed? Mm -hmm. Out of the ones we found, how many have we missed? Mm -hmm. But um, I may stop after this verse and I may go back and take you to Leviticus 26 to give you a taste of how Jesus is in Leviticus 26 that we're going to look. Leviticus 26, 14 through 39. We did the blessings last week, 1 through 13. This is the assured curses, the curses on Israel. You think you can't find Jesus in there? I don't, I don't bring him in at all until the very last paragraph of my commentary after the, the verses are over. And when I do, you're going to say, oh, my goodness. All right? Okay. Anyway, we may do that. We may not. Um, uh, if not, you can watch it online or you can come in and watch it on Sunday morning. But um, uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, therefore, confession with your mouth 
is speaking of an open profession that Jesus is God. If you've logically thought through what you have done, calling on Jesus as Lord, that means that he's not dead and et cetera, et cetera. If you've done that thing and your brain has gone through it. Now, when you are calling on Jesus, you're not thinking these things. You know, it's like when you go to the bank and you they ask you to do something, you're not thinking the whole process. But the whole process is being presented to you as you're at the bank making this transaction. Your mind is picking these things up on a subliminal level. It's the same thing with thinking, because all of you were kind of like, what is he talking about? Until I finally said he's alive. And they said, oh yeah, and then, and then, and then. Your mind is picking up on these things. The Jehovah's Witnesses' mind is not picking up on these things because they've been told in advance that this is not the case. And so they've got this disconnect. They're reading the Bible and there's this disconnect. The Mormons, you know, we've got this extra book of Mormon, another gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They're not thinking on the lines of the God of the Bible. It, it, they're just not. So yep. there is a disconnect in their theology. The what? I just was agreeing. Oh. I, I had an encounter with the... Mormon? No. Job's Witness. Job yeah, the girl. Yeah. Oh, well, so sad. Very just sad. heartbreaking. Um, so uh, let's see here. Um, oh, you know, let me stop right here. I, I just want to say something before I forget, and we're going to get right back into this. Um, we had a guy here on Sunday, and I just want to show you how important it is to address people and to do something for them, even if it's a hello or a hug. On Sunday, we had a person here that uh, he was in the church for the first time. He, he's been at a Bible study before, but he was first time in the church. And he came just for an hour, and then he said, I'm going to be leaving. I've got to go to some other meeting, which is tied in with something that he has just recently done, right? And uh, so he was going to miss the sermon, which is a lot more important than the prophecy update. The yeah, prophecy update will be obsolete in 32 seconds. The sermon will be there forever because it's the Word of God. Okay, so I was outside having a talk with him about an issue. Uh, I was talking with him, and uh, uh, they were getting ready to go because they had to go to this other thing. And one of our people in here who hands out a lot of Bibles, who am I talking about? Chris. Chris. She walks out, and she gives him a Bible, Aww. right? Here, this is for you. And so they're getting ready to go, and then he says, I, I, who gave me this? It was just because we were talking, he wasn't paying attention. I pointed her, and uh, he went over and thanked her, and they stayed for the sermon. And I know he needed to hear the contents really? of that sermon. Nice. You know, so they say, but what I'm saying is when you see somebody and you express to them, yeah. whether it's a gift of something of tangible or whether it's a gift of your, your love, uh, yes, whatever, talent. your time, talent, treasure. or your treasure, whatever, you are instilling in them something that maybe they need in order to get them to do something in their life. I was so happy when I didn't expect them to walk back in, but they did. And it was because she made that effort. Wow. So, you know, I need to so tell her that on Saturday. She's because, watching right now. But, oh, maybe she is. I need Hi, to Chris. say that too. Chris, you are the Bible lady. Well, we, we, we have got a lady that hands out more Bibles in a week than most people have held in their hands in their whole life. Yeah. Oh, and Jim carries them for she's I mean, it, she's got a, doing the what? She's not shy about No, she's she not. She gets right in your face and says, you need a Bible. Take this. So, okay. I didn't mean to divert from that, but I really wanted you to know that it's important that uh, we don't just talk about the Bible and give theology, which is going to go over your head and you're going to forget it 10 minutes later. We need to tie something in with it, and it's tied into this right here. And that's why I brought that up, and I didn't want to forget. So she, she really is an amazing person. Um, anyway, so um, uh, therefore, confession with your mouth is the making of an open profession that Jesus is God, thus denying all other gods. If there is one God, then there can't be any other gods. 
This would have been particularly of note in Roman times when people within the empire were required to affirm the lordship of Caesar. Absolutely. For many, it was a life and death decision to call on the Lord Jesus. Most translations, rather than stating the Lord Jesus, will say Jesus is Lord. This is to avoid confusion and to emphasize his lordship. Excuse me. Either way, one must make the confession, which is a true profession, as is seen in the words, which he continues, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Paul directly ties the resurrection to Jesus' lordship. You cannot have one without the other. It is impossible. One cannot honestly call on a dead savior, and so acknowledging his resurrection returns us to the thought that he was sinless in his life and sinless in his death. Peter explains this in his great discourse to Pentecost in Acts chapter two. So I'm gonna take you there, I gotta go the other direction, Charlie. He says, Acts, I gotta keep going this way. Okay, I got pages all bent. Wow, okay, this, this Bible is very quickly falling to pieces, so it'll be like the 15th one, but that's okay. Acts chapter two, and I think I wanna go down to verse 22, yes. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, all recorded in the Gospels, particularly in John, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, they can't deny it. They all know it, they all saw it, they all talked about it. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He ties that in directly into his proclamation about Jesus. And guess what? Anytime people are talking about Jesus in the Bible, it always comes back to that. It always comes back to it. So it was not possible. Peter said it was not possible that death should hold Jesus because he had no sin. He had no sin. The wages of sin is death. If he came out of the grave, it means that he had no sin. And because he had no sin, it was impossible that death could hold him. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, it's buried in the grave. It's gone forever because of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, it was not possible. To ensure we don't miss the point, immediately before and after stating this, Peter turned to Scripture, and he spoke of the Lord, who? Jehovah. He was speaking in Scripture of the Lord Jehovah in a way which implied that Jesus is Jehovah. Therefore, calling on Jesus is calling on Jehovah. Romans 10.9, and I said this a few minutes ago, this substantiates it. Romans 10.9 is not speaking of Kyrios in any form other than the Old Testament Lord. The Jehovah's Witnesses cannot get this, and yet this is fundamental to salvation. You're calling on the wrong Lord. They're still calling on the Lord who hadn't even appeared. Jesus is just a sacrificial animal to them. God created Jesus, and God sent him to his death, and he was raised a spirit being. It's not the same Jesus. It is a false gospel, okay? Calling on Jesus is calling on Jehovah, but the reciprocal is not necessarily true. 
If one accepts the premise that Jehovah of the Old Testament is realized in Jesus of the New, then they have rightly called on the name of the Lord. But if they stubbornly refuse to see what God has done through Jesus, fulfilling the Old Testament pictures related to Jehovah, which pointed to him, then they have not called on the Lord Jesus. Does everybody yes. see that? The reciprocal is not true. Just because they say they've called on Jehovah does not mean they've called on the full and complete revelation of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, it is an important point which should not be missed. I, I, unfortunately, it's missed by how many of them and how many other cults throughout the world that deny this truth. And so, this belief in God's raising Jesus from the dead is the, the, the crucial key to understanding his personhood. Without understanding this, you cannot understand who Jesus really is. Who is this Jesus? People write books with titles like that, right? And they go about explaining who this Jesus is. It's explained right here in Romans 10, 9. This Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament. Jesus said in John all those times, I am. I am. And it goes right back to Exodus. Yeah. The Lord appeared to Moses, I am. I am who I am. That's yeah. right, the burning bush. But remember that one sermon I did on the structure of the tabernacle, and I called it the seven I am's from the book of Leviticus. The structure of the tabernacle, when it was being described, after it was built and it was going through the final uh, compilation of it, and each thing that he described was in the order of the seven I am proclamations of Jesus in the New Testament. I am this, it was the first one in Exodus. I am that, I am, it was the second one, and all seven of them were in order of the Gospel of John. It was, you know, go back and watch it again. It was just one of those things that I had no idea, and I just started thinking, well, I'm going to tie this in with I am, just because I see a pattern in the first couple of them. And then I kept going, and each time I did it, I thought, I can't believe it. This one matches the third one. This one matches the fourth one. This one matches the fifth one. Absolutely astonishing. Here it's there for 3,500 years from the time of Moses, 2,000 years from the time of John. And as far as I know, it never been recorded in order before. It was just there. And just because we're doing a sermon on that particular thing, it, it was so clear. It's so clear that Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament. It's absolutely clear. Go back and watch that sermon. It's called The Seven I Am's. It's wonderful. It's marvelous what's in there. Um, let's see here. Um, where was I? And so, this belief in God's raising Jesus from the dead, as I said, is the crucial key to understanding his personal personhood. It is a volitional act of the free will. So much for Reformed theology that says that you were regenerated in order to believe. That's never said in Scripture, and it's certainly not said here, which itself is a gift of God. Faith isn't something which can be earned. It is something which is received from God and then exercised by man. This doesn't mean that God grants us the faith to believe and we will believe. It means that God grants us the faith, the faith to believe and we may believe. Everybody has the capability of understanding the message and saying, yes, I can believe that. But they won't all do that. Okay, that's the difference between Reformed theology and proper theology. Reformed theology says he has given you the faith and you will believe. Proper theology says he has given you the faith and now it is your choice to exercise that faith in Jesus Christ. What? Well, Free will. Absolutely. 100%. This is no different than God granting us the ability to accomplish mathematical skills. We may choose to use this ability or not. 
Maybe a better example would be the ability to swim. Swimming is possible for any normally constructed person, but it does take a step of faith to actually exercise the ability. The ability is given by God, but it doesn't mean that the choice will be exercised. Nobody says you have to go out and go swimming today unless you're in swimming class, right? Or you're in the military and you're going out for the Navy SEALs. Then they're going to ask you to swim, right? They're going to ask you to prove that you can do those things. But normally, it's not something that you are instructed. You must swim. It's a choice of people, okay? Faith is not earned. It is received. And then it must be put into practice. Once the faith is properly applied... Paul says, you will be saved. You will be. It's not if, and, or but. It is you will be saved. If you have done this thing, you are saved. I can't tell you how many times I get emails with people that are struggling with their salvation. Well, I struggle with the fact that I am saved, but I don't struggle with the fact that I'm saved, if that makes any yes, sense at does. all. Okay? Right. You should never question your salvation. You can question why you were saved. In other words, I'm questioning that I'm saved. Right. But I'm not questioning that I am saved. Oh. I know I am. There's a difference between the two. I know I am, but Lord, why would you do why would you take a person like me knowing the thing that I did this morning or knowing the thing that I did last night and love me? Why would you do that? That's a, the difference between the right. two. Right. Okay? And we got to get that out of us. We have to get out of us the thought that I I, I might not be saved. This says that if you've done this, you will be saved. So don't ever make that that mistake again, okay? Um, so where was I? Mathematical skills, um, ability. Okay, you will be saved. This final thought, being saved, implies that there is something to be saved from. from. Thank you. Jesus explains this in John 3, 18. I read it from time to time because it's such an important verse. John 3 is a wonderful passage. John 3, 16 kind of sums up the Bible. Everybody knows John 3.16. Very few people stick with John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned. Thank you. We are not condemned if we believe in Jesus Christ. Done. Sin is no longer imputed. You cannot lose your sin. Salvation is eternal. If anybody tells you differently, turn them off. Don't listen to them anymore. Okay? You cannot lose your salvation. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Either they haven't heard it and they don't believe, or they have heard it and they've simply disregarded it. Either way, it doesn't matter. They are condemned already. What you need to do is go from condemnation to salvation, and that is found in the Bible in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and a couple other places. Mm -hmm. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he is the Lord of the Old Testament, meaning he is the creator of all things. Not a created being, but the creator of all things, okay? Before we go on and finish uh, that, let me take you, just so that you know what I'm talking about. In the beginning, God created. created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. And then in 1 John 1, it says, and the uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him, right? Okay, so we know that the Word is the Creator. Okay, we've got those two. And um, uh, then we come to Colossians chapter 1. And just, just so you know where to find these things, Colossians 1, we'll just start in verse 15. He is the image. An image in the Greek is like, uh, it's, uh, uh, like when you look at a coin, you have an image, of Caesar, okay? It's, he is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. He is that physical image of what is invisible. Everybody got that? He is God, but he's God representing himself to us in a way that we can now understand. Okay, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, not of creation. It's a special word in the Greek, which does not mean created by any stretch of the imagination. He is the firstborn over creation. There's two words. I think one is proto Pekesis and the other is prototokus. Or uh, anyway, there there are two words, and one could mean created, the other cannot. Now I'll have to go back and look at those words. Don't make a squiggle on what I just said because I know th- those weren't right, but they're something like that. Anyway, um, uh, and then verse sixteen. Here it is: For by him, speaking of Jesus, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Well, if all things were created and he was before those created things, then he must be the creator. creator. Thank you. All right, he is before all things and in him all things consist. Now what that means is consist, we could say, well, uh, what does that mean? The, a better word, and I, when I cite that verse, I always go back to John Darby, who picked out a beautiful word to explain it. In him, all things subsist. In other words, they are held together. The NIV paraphrases it, and they do a really good job of it. By him, all things are held together. In other words, there is creation, and then there is the sustaining of that creation. It goes on continually, and we know that there must be somebody sustaining. If not, the universe would not exist. It has to be held together by something. God is the sustainer. If all things subsist because of Jesus Christ, then that means he must be the creator. Thank you. Okay, yes. This uh, word in the 15, firstborn, you're saying over all? Well, that's how they translate it here. But he is not the firstborn of creation in, in the sense of being created. The Greek word does, means that he is not created. That's what I'm saying. Okay. okay? Go ahead. I'm read over all. says uh, firstborn of all creation. And you're saying that, that, that That's fine. You can say of all as long as you understand that the Greek word does not mean he was created. Okay. The Greek word, that's I'm what I'm talking you. about. I'm I don't care you. what word you use in the English. That's okay. why I say translator's preference, how they get to the thing. But when somebody says, well, see, that means he's created. No, now go back to the Greek and see what the word means. That's what I'm saying. The Greek word does not mean that he was cre- created. He is prior to the creator, okay. or the creation. Okay, yes. So there's two words in this one excludes that possibility okay so we'll go on from there but that's what i'm talking about it's the greek word it, it, i don't care how they get to it in the english because it's it's hard it's hard to take words and to say what are they saying here so that i can get somebody to understand it okay and that's why when somebody reads one translation of the bible and they don't study beyond that you can get really faulty theology you're in a church and they say we're only going to use this version of the bible we're not going to go back to the greek we're not going to refer to anything else and uh, it, it, it's crazy. I had, once again, this lady that oh is on this one site I go to every morning. She's a King James Olniest, and she started posting this one guy, and I said, well, he's a King James only, and she's come to find out, so is she. So I went very methodically with her through the, the uh, I said, I asked her, I said, 
If there is a difference between the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, and the, New, the King James Version, then which one is correct? And she says, well, God has given us the New Testament in English, and it's inspired of God. And I said, that wasn't my question. Answer my question. If the original says this, and the uh, King James says that, which one is wrong? And she went going around the argument. And so I finally started to post her actual inaccuracies in the King James translation. Thou shalt not kill. Well, I won't go to that one because people will say kill can mean blah, blah, blah. I, I will go to the Hebrew where it says that this is in the plural and therefore the word must be gods. It must be gods. Not God, gods. Okay. And now this one says God. Which one is wrong? Okay, it's, it's saying that this is one God. This is saying that it's speaking of other gods. Which one is wrong? Okay, there is an error in there. One of the two is wrong. She wouldn't answer the question. And I gave her other examples like that. There was 15 million of them in, the, in between the Greek and the Hebrew where the King James is just wrong, right? They won't answer. When you see somebody not answering a question like that, what does that mean? They're in a cult. They, they are in a cult. They cannot get their mind out of what is, I, I'll read you the verse that I read down. Um, I, I'll show you. There, there are five times in the Old Testament, and I cited all of them to you, except one we haven't gotten to yet. But you're right. Kill is a great one to use, because it, 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 especially when you take, but that would take too much time. You know, he well, told them to kill right, before. Right. But I was without just, even knowing Hebrew, you say, yes. okay. He's telling them not to kill. But but that's what I'm but saying. You'd have to go through that long later, explanation. Like, I, think, yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into a long explanation. I just want to show her where one word is wrong. Yes. Okay, because you get into an explanation, they're going to start going yes. off on tangents. Yeah. That's, I want to avoid that. So um, uh, I, I'm going to have to find it on my iPad because I don't but, want to. Oh, no, we'll go, we'll go to Genesis 28. There's another one right here in Genesis 28. There's well, one that Abraham says. Um, it says, um, "When God caused me to wander from my land, no, you know that one. Let me, let me just let me pull it up here. It's I, I want to get this quickly so we don't waste the whole class on one wrong thing. But uh, we'll go to. Um, uh, well, while you're looking for it, yes. let me just say, it's a beautiful translation. It is. There's yeah, they are. If they're done properly, they're beautiful. And the original publishers of it in their preamble say." Oh, they, they read as many translations as you can so that you get the full. I showed her all of those and she dismissed every one of them in their own. It's, it's absolutely it's crazy. The Bible yeah, says. absolutely crazy. Their translators say exactly what they argue against. Um, but here we go. I'm going to read this really quickly and then we'll go on. There's there's one that Jacob does it. Well, Abraham does it here. He does it in um, Genesis 20, verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place where we go, say of me, he is my brother. Well, guess what? The word God, Elohim, it could be plural, it could be singular, right, whatever, is united with a plural verb. Therefore, it can only be plural. If your translation says, God caused me to wander, it is incorrect. It says, the gods caused me to wander. Now, what does that mean? Because we know there's only one God. So what does that mean? It means that he's not speaking about God at all. He was in where before he was called out of there? Very short Ur, word, Ur. Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. And what did they do in Ur? They worshiped idols. That is explicitly stated in Joshua. Our fathers, before they came, were called out of that, worshiped other gods. It's speaking of Abraham and his family. The gods caused me to wander. The false gods 
caused me to wander from my homeland. God called me out of that. The true God caused, called me out of it. The next one is found in Genesis 28. There's five of them in the Old Testament. They must be translated plural, and they're not because people are scared. They don't understand what is being said here. It, it can't be correct, and so they just they go with the, the wrong the singular, thing. Right. The singular. Here's what it says here. Um, uh, Genesis 29, um, 28. Oh, I'm not going to remember it, and it's one of these verses, but it's the same thing. Gods, okay? We don't, we don't. Yeah, you, you get the point, though. Yeah, absolutely. And so, there, and, but there are many, many of these type of things in the King James. There are many of them. And it's one that got me really confused. I used to read the King James. Yes. And they used the word confederacy on Isaiah instead of conspiracy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, that's and, old English. And so I it, didn't understand. What is that? Yeah, like, so you have to actually, learn another English. Yeah, yeah, you have to learn another English in order to understand it sometimes. Why should you have to do that? You know, just get something that's modern and updated and then study and show yourself approved. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of really old, archaic words, and there are words. Does everybody know um, uh, when Jesus says in John, uh, I go to prepare a place for you? There are many Rooms. rooms. Well, guess what they say in the Old Testament? Mansions, right? That's so everybody right. thinks they're getting a mansion. Right, right. right? The old English word for mansion means room, right? But people, yeah, that's all it is. Oh, and so it, 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 you have to go back and you have to understand what they were yes, saying. And most yes. people don't know that yeah, right. half of the words in that Bible from 1611 mm -hmm. are outdated. They've been updated, and that's why we have modern translations. Let's get off that, though. That's I know. I, it just We're picking on it. Yeah, picking on it. But this, but the whole point is that this is why it's so important to understand what Paul is saying yeah. here. What he is saying in Romans ten is important, right? That's why I went right. to Colossians, and then we got into that word about. Oh yeah, that's how we got into it. Was Burke started asking about words? Your fault. Okay. Um, okay. So we went to John three eighteen. And salvation is necessary to be kept from. I'm sorry. Salvation is necessary to be kept from. Condemnation. Condemnation. Thank you, John three eighteen. You must be saved, so you're not. Be People say, "Are you saved?" What does that mean? It means that you're being saved from something. What? Yeah, you got to be saved from something. People say, "Well, you're unsaved." Well, that means I'm going to heaven. No, 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 no. Salvation, being saved means you're not going to hell, okay? There may not be a heaven, there may be a place called putting paradise, right? Whatever, yeah. but you're saved. There is a heaven. I, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that the word salvation doesn't mean anything over here. It means something it's over saved. here. It's, it means yeah. out of something, not for something. Yeah. Heaven is a result of being saved. Right. You see, that's, that's the important thing is when people say, are you saved, I'm going to heaven. That's not what I asked. Are you saved? Are you being saved from the condemnation? Right. Because that's right. what salvation but, is. But okay. But yes, there is a heaven. What? If, if you're not saved, you're not going to heaven. Then you're so not going to heaven. Right. You're, you, so, whatever's going to happen to you, it ain't going to be that. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. But of course, anybody that you talk to about salvation, you talk to them and you witness to them about Jesus, eventually you say, well, you know, you're not going to heaven. Yes, I am. Even if they say they're atheists and they don't believe in in, uh, in God, they say, yes, I'm going to heaven. They, it, it's universal. People immediately respond, yes, I am. It happens all the time. Okay, so salvation is necessary to be kept from condemnation. Condemnation is the result of inherited and later committed sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Faith in Jesus' work is what reconciles us.
This is why Jesus could rightly claim that no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because he is the only way to be saved. Because he's the only one that has done the thing that we're talking about in Romans 10, 9. He's the only avenue to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father, to get us out of hell and on our way to whatever he has prepared for us. All I'm worried about right now is the salvation from, not the for, okay? That's, but yes, there is a heaven, Burke is absolutely right, but first make sure they understand that there is a hell, okay? And I don't like to talk about hell, I don't like to, it's not, not my thing. I know people that have never gone to church again because they were raised in hell, damn fire, damnation churches, and that's all they heard week after week after week, and they said, I'm not ever going to church again. I've heard several people in my life say really? that. What a shame, when you could be pre preaching about grace, about God's love, his mercy, and getting us out of that place, just kind of incidentally saying it, that's good enough. You don't need to do, dwell on it. I can tell you what, Paul doesn't dwell on it at no, all. He doesn't. He doesn't dwell on hell at all. It's a very small part of the Bible, and yet some people just, they, they cling to it. Okay, so life application. We are given a, begins with C-H and ends with voice. Choice, yes, we're given a choice. Believe in Jesus and be saved or be condemned. There's no other avenue, so believe and be saved. That's your life application. Verse 10, 10. Right. Number two. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth confess and are saved. Okay, your Bible is completely wrong. You need to never use that again. I'm kidding. <laughs> See, this one says something different, but it says the same thing. Read it again. I'm going to read mine. Go ahead. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Okay, here we go. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, which yours says, and are justified. Mm -hmm. There, It's a different person's translation getting right. to exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. You see that? Mm -hmm. There's nothing evil. There's no conspiracy. There's no crazy cult thinking. It is simply a different translator saying exactly the same thing with different words. Mm -hmm. Okay? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation but they say the same, same thing. thing they have the same concept it's just coming at it from a different angle okay so charlie is a great guy and great things that charlie does makes him a great guy yeah, <laughs> it's, like, just, it's just getting it's a little like, more wordy or paraphrasing but that's right you're but i i disagree with both of those oh, I i'm too. sorry yeah, we're anyway. not argue about okay that. Romans, yeah. romans 10 verse 10 paul connects 10 9 to 10 10 with the uh with his common conjunction Four. Thank you. Uh, remember what I said last week, when you're looking in the Bible, just take your prepositions and just give them a circle as you're going through, and that will help you to form a basis of what Paul is trying to say. Now, not all translations are going to translate it properly. Some will add some in, some will say them differently, and some people, especially with the Old Testament, the word ve, okay, it's just all it is is a V, or the, it's the vav, it's one letter which precedes the rest of the word, and that usually means and like Charlie and Sergio, or whatever, okay? Ve, Charlie, ve, Sergio, it would be and, okay? It's just attached to the word, all right? But sometimes you have to infer that it means then, then this happened, or it might say but. Some people will say but, they'll translate it as that, because the context is demanding something other than the word and, okay? Mm. So that's why some translations will stick very literally, and they'll say and, 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 with this word ve, okay? But some will say but, 
or then because there's an ongoing sequence of things. Is one wrong and one right? No, this person is showing you what is happening. This person is being literal in what is said. You can't say that they're either is wrong. It's one is doing one thing and one is doing another. That's why we have what are called literal translations. And then we've got paraphrases, which aren't really translations. They're just taking some. And then you've got dynamic equivalents. This is a thought and this is a thought. They don't match in language, you know, from the direct translation, but they say the same thing. Dynamic equivalence is here, literal is here. If you have a totally literal Bible, you're gonna have something that is very hard to read. Very hard to read. Go read Young's literal translation of the Bible. I love that for study because it's literal, but it's very hard to read, okay? But you get a d dynamic equivalence, and boy, you've got this beautiful understanding of what is literally being said, okay, which you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So this is this is all important in your, your grasping what is going on in Scripture. That's why reading two or three different translations, one might have a merging of the two. This is literal here, this is dynamic equivalence, and now it really makes great sense, doesn't, right? Doesn't it just compound the problems? Trying to go to new languages, yes. languages that aren't even don't even. Like, okay, how do we? How do we do? And that's what Ray and Jess are going to be oh, doing. If they go to a tribe that has no language written down, they have to develop that language. This happens in Wycliffe all the time, all around the world. People have spoken languages but no written languages. They must develop a language for those people to understand and grasp. Sometimes they use characters. Sometimes they use figures. It doesn't matter how they get to it, but that becomes their language. More languages on this planet have been developed for Bible translation than any other means. Right. By the the Kyrillic alphabet, the, what the Russians use, we say Cyrillic, but it's actually Kyrillic. That was developed by a guy, Cyril or Kirill. And he went around specifically to be able to evangelize the Slavic people. That's why all these Slavic people use the Kyrillic alphabet. You want to witness to a Russian? Tell them that because they don't even know that. And you say, he developed this so you could understand uh -huh. about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, now they've got a mental connection uh -huh. to their own language, which is tied back to the very foundation of their language. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's marvelous. Uh -huh. Anyway, here we go. Um, 10, 10, 10, Paul ties uh, 10, 9 to 10, 10 with 4. In 10, 9, he explained what was required to be saved, confession with the mouth, and belief in the heart. Yes, now he explains why this is so. One, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Belief is what? What does your Bible say in this verse, Jim? Um, that you believe and were justified. Justified. So it's the same thing. Belief is what justifies. So in my commentary, I used a word that is in his Bible. So I went around it this way. You went around it that way. It says the same thing. Okay. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. Belief is what justifies. This is a consistent and common teaching of Paul. Faith in God's provision results in the declaration of righteousness. One is found not guilty before the law. That takes us right back to what I read you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think it was verse 19 or 20. Remember what I said? God is not imputing sin. Okay? He has imputed us his righteousness. Sin can no longer be imputed because we're not under law. We are under grace. Okay? If you can just keep remembering these core doctrines, you are not under law unless you're in a messianic or hebrew roots congregation and they tell you you've got to do this and you've got to observe the sabbath all these crazy things you are not under law you are under grace you're not sinning against god because sin is not imputed you might be offending god with what you're doing and you'll lose your rewards but sin is not imputed 
Okay, so I know it's it's you got to grasp these things and you got to keep telling yourself because it's so easy to forget. Um, it's um, where is it? Um, not guilty before the law. This occurs the moment, the moment that one believes and no further act fulfills this standing before God, as is supposed in the teaching of a guy named N.T. Wright. Okay, Paul speaks of this justification as immediate, complete. And assured. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go look up N.T. Wright and read his commentary on this. He is absolutely wrong. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it, but in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which I cite almost every week, it says, when you believe, 1, verse 13, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, which didn't save you yet, you heard the word of truth, right? The gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There is no, no separation between the two. When you believe, you receive. It is that quick. It is done, it is immediate, and it is eternal. Sealed. It is sealed. That's right. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee, the erabon, the absolute assurance, the deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means that you have been purchased you're in this body, you're falling apart. We have a brother here with cancer. We've got a sister here with a, a rotator cuff that was just worked on. We hope the other one doesn't go bad. We've had hip surgeries, we've had knee surgeries. We're not redeemed from this body yet, but we are redeemed in Christ, okay? That is the guarantee, that's what it's saying. You are sealed with this guarantee until, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, meaning us, to the praise of of his glory. If God didn't follow through with that, then he would not be the glorious God of the Bible. Everybody see that? Somebody emailed me um, uh, this this week and my I answered very clearly and I, you're gonna get this question. You're going to get this question. Let's think it through. You can't lose your salvation, right, Charlie? Yes, well, what if somebody denies Jesus after being saved? Okay, let me ask you something. If somebody willingly said, I am now going to go from salvation to hell. Are they thinking clearly? No, absolutely not. They are not thinking clearly, and you cannot be held accountable for, what is it, uh, what's the uh, uh, legal definition of that? Anyway, uh, I'll think of it, and then I'll, I'll uh, say okay. it to you. But when you are mentally incompetent, which is perfectly proven by somebody that says, I want to go to hell, then you will not be held accountable for that. You may lose some rewards because of your stupidity or your arrogance or whatever else, but you are not mentally competent to make that decision any longer. You will never lose your salvation. I don't care what anybody says. Somebody says that you can walk away from Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that. In the book of 1 Timothy, we have two people that walk away from the Lord. They shipwrecked their faith. And Paul says exactly the same thing about them as he does about the guy in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn him over to Satan. He says, I've handed them over to Satan, right? So that. So, yeah, this guy, so that um, the destruction of the flesh, that their spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. People that willingly walk away from the Lord will not lose their salvation, but they're going to have a crummy time of it during their walk in this life. I wanted to get that out because this is an important doctrine tied in with Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's, that's a fake it is a fake question. question. It's like, can God make a rock big enough that he can't pick Absolutely. up? Absolutely. It's like, what does that mean? It doesn't like, mean you know, anything. That's right. It's a stupid question. It's it's illogical, and it's not something we should entertain. But you could just give them the argument that I gave you, and that would be enough. You are not competent to say, I want to go to hell. 
Nobody is competent to make that decision. You may know that you're going to hell and say, I want to get out of that. I want to be saved by Jesus. But yes, go ahead. I can say that uh, I have three sons and I have uh, my youngest son, Charlie, is no longer my son. Right. I'm still your son. It doesn't matter what you say. I am still your son. That's right. You can go through a legal process and you can say, you're no longer my son. I'm excommunicating you. It doesn't matter. I am still your son. That will never change. It will never change. Once you are a son, you are a son forever. You're absolutely right. And it's too bad for you because you ain't changing it. Okay, so we've got Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I just read you. You're sealed. It's a guarantee. It cannot be lost. It is immediate because faith results in sealing. That's what it says. I just read you that. You have faith. You believe. You receive. No delay can be inferred in that process. What's the verse again? One, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Very important verse to remember as well. That would be one of the, please memorize this verse, just like Romans 10, 9 and 10. Okay, so um, no de delay can be inferred. It is complete because God has sealed the believer with his spirit. Nothing could be more comprehensive than this. And it is assured because this ceiling is referred to as a guarantee. Thank you. As this is God's plan to reconcile men to himself, it would make no sense to justify a sinner through pardoning of sin just to turn around later and unjustify him for a later failing. You were justified. God is not going to unjustify you. You have gone through the act of justification. It's a complete process. It is done. All right? It is forever done. It cannot be unchanged, all right? So don't let people teach you that type of doctrine. If they teach something else which is worthy, you can listen to them on that. But if you're gonna to listen to them on salvation and they say that's it, I'm not gonna to listen to that from you anymore. We can talk about other issues. We can, I do it with R.C. Sproul all the time, don't I? I'm not gonna to listen to him on this issue, but I will listen to him on that because not everything he says is bad, but he's got some really bad doctrine. Well, he's dead now, so he doesn't that's anymore, but say. yeah, anyway. But I love the guy. He had some really great theology. He had some very great commentaries. He had great sermons, all right? People too often say, well, he's a heretic because, and that's the end of their fellowship with him. That's pretty small-minded. There are people that have good information out there that just teach some wrong doctrine. We need to stick with what is good. If they're saved, they're saved. Know what is wrong and just stay away from that part of their theology, okay? So he's not gonna unjustify us. God doesn't make mistakes. He sealed you, right? Well, if he sealed you and then you can lose your salvation, it is a mistake. That's right. That's a problem. Absolutely. God doesn't make mistakes and his sealing is eternal. It's a guarantee until the purchased possession, the redemption of the purchased possession. So it's all logical if you just think it through. Likewise, the plan has been given and it is one which is fully satisfactory. Everything Jesus did is fully satisfactory. Nothing is missing from our redemption. No part of it. Because it is, no other method is necessary, right? If that is fully sufficient, then nothing else is necessary. And nothing else is provided. If this is the path that God has chosen, then there are not many paths to God. There is one. Everybody see the logic in this? Mm -hmm. If you just logically step through what God has done, if that is sufficient, then there is nothing else that's necessary, then why would he give another path? Which is fallible. Any other path that you say, well, God has saved the Chinese people this way. Well, there's a fault in it. Therefore, he didn't save them through it at all. The only one that has no fault is the cross of Christ. 
God being incarnate, giving his life in exchange for us. It's without fault. And therefore, no path is provided. Only this one, okay? Justification means our declaration of righteousness comes through Christ and Christ alone. Remember what we were talking about before class started? The five solas, remember? By faith alone, by grace alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, and Christ alone. Right, absolutely. Justification comes through him and through him alone. God will not deviate from this avenue, nor will he make exceptions. That's right, other provisions along the way. He's not going to do it. Secondly, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. This is what Paul is saying. Belief results in righteousness, and it precedes confession. As noted in the commentary that we just read on 10.9, the audible confession stands because of the inward profession. You have an audible confession that might not mean anything, like the guy that lied about us meeting. I've never met the guy. There has to be something behind it. There has to be an internal profession. Anyone can confess a matter without believing it, right? I could say, Charlie Garrett is handsome, and you all laugh because it's not true, right? I can say it. It doesn't make it true. But if I say, my wife is beautiful, there is a confession, and there is also a profession from my heart because I know that she's beautiful, right? So anyone can confess that way. We see this in our politicians every Uh single day, don't we, right? However, when the heart when the heart believes, the confession will be sincere. The two are always working in accord with one another. For God who searches the hearts and minds, knowing the difference is not a difficult task. He knows everything, right? Morrison states it this way. Confession is just faith turned from its obverse side to its reverse. When faith comes forth from its silence to announce itself and to proclaim the glory of the grace of the Lord, its voice is confession. Perfect. Just wonderful words from that guy. Life application. Oh, we got 10 more minutes. We'll get one more in. No city on a hill can be hid and no true faith will be silent. Belief will naturally result in confession. Let your words be overflowing with the gratitude to the Lord who saved you despite yourself, and do not quench the spirit with whom God has sealed you. Be bold and proclaim the Lord Jesus every chance you get. Right? Right. Back to Chris. She tries to get those laminated cards. Laminated cards? The, um, the uh, prayer of salvation. Right. Oh, yeah. That's the best That's one. the best one. We need the laminated cards with the prayer of salvation because people will read that and it'll give them something to look at and it'll give them something to contemplate. And uh, I had a bad, bad thing today. I don't know whatever resulted from it. A guy that they bought my grandmother's house, which I took care of for years, and it's next door to my uncle's house, which I still take care of. And uh, they, I've helped them when he'd go away or something. I'd help him. But uh, he got cancer, and he's been struggling. And I, when I found out he had cancer, I gave him a track, and he was too sick to come out. And I gave it to his wife, and I said, please indulge me. Give this to him and let him have it. And a couple, uh, maybe a month ago, I came out and talked to her and I said, you know, she said he's got it right on his nightstand next to him. Well, he died this morning. So I don't know if he made a confession or not. I have no idea. But uh, the Lord does. And that's why we hand out tracts is because this guy was dying. He was only 56 years old. What? Yeah, wow. he died. So you, you don't know when you're, you know, I mean, you got all the money in the world. Yeah. You live in a nice house and it doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. Right? 10-11, go ahead. Oh, yes, yes wait. Get these oh, yes, at wait. Super, uh, 
that superior word? No, no, this is superior word. Uh, no. Living word. Living there. word has great tracks too, don't yeah. they? This is that plan of salvation with the prayer in it. That's, that's, and we got some of those like that in the tracks as well. Some of the tracks do, and some of them just give you a general information, but those are wonderful. Absolutely. Living word has them. Okay, go ahead. 10 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, you, you need to get rid of that Bible. This says, for the scripture says. Oh, my God. This one gosh. says, as. See, there's a problem. It's just people translating a preposition. Yes. How do I do it? Right? Yeah. How do I take that preposition? Don't get crazy over these type of things. For the scripture says, as the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay? Paul again quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16, as he did in Romans 9.33. His citation is using the Greek translation of this verse and adding the term whoever. Okay? The Greek and the Hebrew read differently. Okay, they say the same thing, but they read differently. He used the Greek. He used a right out of the Greek translation, which is, you know, translators refer to the Greek when they do the Hebrew translations because sometimes it helps you to understand very difficult words in the Hebrew. There are words that people have no idea what that word means. None. They admit it in their translations. There are certain words and phrases that nobody has an idea. And so all we can do is our best job. You can infer from the context around it, but somebody else might infer it differently, right? We came across one of those in the book of Jonah. Everybody had a different translation on it. And I went to the New Testament and I found the parallel and I know what that translation was and I know that what I gave was correct, okay? So that was at the very end of that the book. Amazing, yeah, wasn't that a wonderful end? My goodness, you know, there. I, I'm certain that that word is correct, not because of the context of Jonah, because it could be this word or that, and all these different mm -hmm. translations have it. One commentary, the BDB, one of the most famous and in-depth. Um, it's the Brown Driver Briggs. Uh, um, what is it called? Theological um, Concordance of the Bible or something. Oh, anyway. They, they got to that, uh, yeah, most seminaries will use it. It's very, very deep. But they got to that word and they said, we have no idea what this word means. Really? Right? Yeah. So they're hard words. But when you go to the New Testament and you see what Paul is yeah. saying in relation yeah. to the book of Jonah, now I have the tie-in. So anyway, I, I, I'm assuming I'm right. I didn't mean to be arrogant. I was just, I picked the word and I am I am certain. I would not have translated it otherwise if I thought this could be wrong. Yeah. I'm certain it's correct. But We'll let the Lord decide. Anyway, I was just making a joke, so please. Um, okay, Paul again quotes Isaiah 26, 8, 28, 16. His citation is using the Greek of this verse, adding in whoever. Along with Isaiah 28, though, Isaiah 49, verse 23. Let me take you there really quickly. I want to read that to you because I did not quote it here. 49, verse 23 says, um, Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bound to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Okay? It uh, carries the same similar thought to this other verse. In this verse, it is the Lord Jehovah speaking. Right? That was the Lord Jehovah speaking. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go quickly because, yeah, we're going to get this done. Okay. Um, Paul's use of the verses in this manner, as with other apostles, is to show that Jesus is, in fact, Jehovah. He is the physical incarnation of Jehovah of the Old Testament. Let's go and read this again now so you know what I'm talking about. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Who is he speaking about? He's, well, Paul. Who is Paul speaking about? Jesus, right? But Isaiah was speaking about Jehovah. 
So he's taking Jehovah of the Old Testament and he's saying this is fulfilled in Jesus. Do you see the logic? Mm -hmm. That is why it's so important to understand. Mm -hmm. I was talking to some Mormons, our our Jehovah's Witnesses, right over on Olive Avenue about uh, three years ago. They were at handing out their stuff in the morning. It was a mother and her son working their way to heaven. And I told him, you're wrong on your theology. And I said, if you want to know how to know, I would ask you to go to Isaiah. And I would like you to get every title of God and everything that God speaks of himself and then go to the New Testament and see if that is repeated by Jesus' own words and the words of the apostles. I said, you do that and you will understand that you are not correct in your theology. And they said, okay, we will. Because what does he say? I am the Lord, I am your redeemer, and there is no other. I am the Lord, I am their savior, and there is no other. I am the first and the last. I am the, Every single title that is used by Isaiah eventually is used speaking of Jesus or by Jesus of himself in the New Testament. If somebody has a problem with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, don't argue the theology with them because you're never going to get through their head. Let the word do it. Just tell them, get a Bible and take those words and go to Jesus and take his words or words spoken of Jesus and let them make up their own decision. You can come if you, unless you're going to do the thing that lady did with the translation and just say, I'm unless they're willing to just be honest, they're never going to come to the realization. But if they are willing, they will realize because you can't have no other and then another and have them be the same thing or not be the same thing. Everybody got that? Is that okay. all of Isaiah? Or is... Oh, just read all of Isaiah and just take all of the titles and eventually a large number of them, which are solely speaking of Jesus, we beheld his glory. Um, it says, I am the Lord and my glory I will not give to another. And what does John do again and again? He speaks of the glory of Christ. We beheld his glory, right? He speaks of the glory of Christ again and again and again. No doubt what is being said. So Isaiah, just have them read it and then have them take the those titles and those claims that the Lord makes and then say, is it applied in the New Testament by Jesus or by the apostles speaking of Jesus? But let them let them worry about it. Isaiah through like 46. Oh, yeah. All that in there is... Just what you're saying again and again and again and they're all applied not all of them but i mean you know what i'm saying they're just many of them okay so uh, the physical incarnation of jehovah of the old testament that's what paul is doing he's taking this title of the lord i'm doing this and now he's saying jesus is doing that how so many people miss this is very hard to understand but miss it they do and they fail to accept god at his word also Inciting the Old Testament in this manner, it demonstrates quite clearly that salvation by faith was anticipated even under the law. Paul had just gotten done with explaining how to be saved, and then he cites this verse from under the time of the law to say that this is how, and it will not lead to disappointment. See that? Even under the Old Testament, the the pattern has always been the same. The reciprocal is also true. Failing to seek justification by faith alone will lead to being put to shame. Sometimes reciprocals do work, sometimes they don't. It didn't in the last verse or the verse before that, it did here, okay? Life application and we are done. Go back, read and memorize Romans 10, 9, and 10. Then trust that what it says is true. In so doing, you will not be put to shame. Then go and share the simple message of hope with others. Wonderful stuff, huh? Okay, let me get something. I know it. There it is right there. And then we're going to say a prayer, and we're going to be done right on time tonight. Fantastic. Okay, Romans 10, 12 next week. And we put this away, and real quickly, just don't want to have this stuff fly all over like it seems to be every week. Okay, here we go.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the chance to come and meet in your presence and to share in your goodness and to study your word and to see how logically it all fits together and how beautifully Christ is displayed, Old Testament and New, that the Lord of the Old is the same Lord as the New and that we have our hope, our faith, and our trust in exactly the right place. We know exactly who we have believed. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the surety of our salvation. Even when we question how you could do it, we know that you have done it. And so that's the big difference that we should cling to, is that you have done it, even though we can't comprehend it. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus, our Lord's beautiful name. Amen. 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 Okay. Oh, um, yes. Is it this Sunday? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, see, I'm not paying attention. It's early this year. It is early this year. Okay. So we're backing up. Let me, uh, no, we're not there yet. Oh, wait a minute. I put it on. Yes, I did put it on break. Okay. There we go. We love you guys. Please have a wonderful week and hope to see you on Sunday. Palm Sunday. Okay. Let me turn this baby off. Turn that baby off. Okay. Ah, oh, thank you. Whoever said that was uh, Sunday, thank you, because I was not paying attention. They gave out a bunch of uh, three by five cards and said, write down any questions for us. And then they compiled them into a list. And the teachers were taking turns answering all these different questions. They oh, answered boy. everything except the last question of the card. Oh, no. He handed me the card and he said, would you answer this?